I think our natural inclination is to have a villain, but our lives are not cartoon and animation. We are all in this world on a journey, trying to do the best that we can with the childhood we've had, with the brokenness that we have experienced. And so when we encounter someone that is toxic, we have to understand that they are acting, thinking, and speaking from their brokenness. Some people are genuinely exhibit toxic behavior. Most of us have probably had toxic moments in our life. That's not excusing someone who's going through that. I'm not saying you should put up with someone who's going through a phase where their energy is toxic. You know, I think there needs to be some separation between labeling someone a toxic person and saying the way they're behaving is toxic. I think empathy is something that we are losing in this world quickly. And yet it is so crucial to me to, to actually saving this world. This idea of people feeling like they have been through so much in multiple narcissistic relationships that they're, they're starting to lose their empathy. I've gotten rid of those people. You've made it to set number three with people over and over again. You're constantly in set number three. You're constantly seeing red flags. You've confirmed, you've seen clusters, what's going on, you've done research. Those people should not be in your life. We have to learn how to recognize when we're being manipulated when we're being taken advantage of. And so they're saying this stuff as a way to say to you, be quiet, here's my boundary. They're giving you their boundary. Don't talk to me about this stuff. It's not that there aren't difficult people and problematic people in your life. First of all, why are you in relationship with that person? What are you doing there? You know, we have our favorite weapon. Some, when we're scared, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, we have our favorite weapon. And I think we often scare people off in relationships, not because of our wounds, we scare them off with our weapons. And I'll be damned if somebody who's toxic is gonna be the reason the most beautiful part of myself gets turned off. I actually want to go back to something you said earlier, which is about toxic people. And I want to read a quote okay. that it really hit me so hard. Um, and it's so beautifully said. A toxic person doesn't mean they're evil. It just means they need healing. Yeah. Yeah. We always want to pass judgment. You've said this a few times now. And it's like, naturally, we pass judgment on people. And it's like, oh, they're toxic. They're toxic. But it's such a beautiful reframe. Why do you feel like that's powerful for you? And how do you implement that? Well, I realized it in my previous marriage. It was so easy to be like, he did this, he mm. did this, he did that. Then I was like, yeah, but you weren't good for him either. Like your mouth was crazy. You were ramming cars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you were so upset and enraged that you became someone that you didn't even like yourself. Yeah. And so to realize that at the end of the day, we were both broken. I think our natural inclination is to have a villain. My story mm. needs a villain, right? But our lives are not cartoon and animation. We are all in this world on a journey, trying to do the best that we can with the childhood we've had, with the brokenness that we have experienced. And so when we encounter someone that is toxic, we have to understand that they are acting, thinking and speaking from their brokenness. And when we see it as such, we're able to say, you know what, you cannot pour into me because you are still so poisonous yourself. But what I can do is wish you the best while I move into spaces and environments that help to edify and allow me to have sustenance because otherwise our um, need to be a hero will make us drown in someone else's pool of poison 
instead of really taking the time to really, you know, I'm, my analogies are out here, but to swim. I freaking love the, the analogies. Keep coming. <laughs> I was going to say, keep them coming. <laughs> um, that's so beautiful because I think that that's important to remind ourselves because when someone is toxic, we either vilify them, which yeah. is 100%, which I actually don't think that does us ourselves any justice. Yeah, what does that do? Like, mm -hmm. But I've also heard you you say sometimes you want to hold on to some hostileness. Yeah. So talk to me about that. And um, is that hostility within yourself? Is that hostility with other people? You know, it's towards other people. Now I'm telling this is the best version of me talking to you right now because I want to be very clear that I am very petty when I am not in the best version of myself. Okay. So if someone does something to me, it takes me a minute to come to this place of forgiveness and compassion and they're just broken because I start, you know, like I hope there's a pebble in their shoe. And that I was going to say, I want to hear the pettiness. Yes. This, yes. this is why it's important. Tell me a couple of the pettinesses girl, so that we can I say am, how you shift it. No. it's Girl, <laughs> no. <laughs> like I hope there is a pebble in their shoe and that it bothers them everywhere they go. I hope they walk into a puddle. I was going to say, you're like, being very polite. No, I'm no. more like, I hope they you fall know, and scrape yes, their knee. Some falling would be great. Some scraping of the knees, some people walking away from them. I hope someone breaks their heart the way they broke mine. Like, I mean, all of the things, oh, right? You do. But then I spend so much mental real estate yeah. thinking about what I want to go wrong with someone that I don't have time to consider what I want to go well with my own spirit and soul. And so when they say forgiveness is for you, it's not for the other person it's kind of become cliche now we don't want to hear it but the truth is that it takes a lot of energy to wish harm on someone mm -hmm. and you have to become someone to wish harm on someone and of course we become bitter and resentful after that but to then say you know what I don't even have to worry about what's going to happen to them because right now I need to focus on what's happening to me mm -hmm. because I'm changing out of this need to be spiteful and revengeful You had a post, which I love, how to avoid toxic people or relationships. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a couple of things that I really love. Um, resist, of the tips that you had given, these were the ones that really struck me, but resist complaining. Um, how do you resist complaining? Because your instinct is to complain. Right, right. We spend so much energy and time, most of us, complaining about things that are out of our control, but also then complaining to people who can't fix it. <laughs> and there's this huge misconception that venting makes us feel better. Oh, misconception. Yes, Talk people say, that. I have to get it out because if I get it out, then I feel better. But almost every research study will show that commiserating, complaining keeps you stuck because you're not thinking about happier things. You're just thinking about all the awful, horrible things that are going on and it keeps you stuck in a state of misery. And, you know, there's one thing about emotional processing. If you have a friend and you call your friend and say, hey, I'm dealing with this issue with my, with my mother-in-law, with my coworker, and you're trying to develop a solution mm -hmm. or at least come up with strategies, how am I going to cope with this? I have to go to work tomorrow and I work with this person. What can I do about it? That can be helpful. But just complaining for the sake of complaining isn't. It's not about getting it out or about venting and releasing pressure. It's not like you're stuffing all your emotions if you don't talk about it. It's about mm -hmm. saying... How am I going to spend my time and my energy? Let's spend it on something more positive instead of calling your friend to complain about all the bad stuff that happened today and then getting in this conversation that's ruminating about awful stuff. Let's talk about something pleasant and see what happens to your mood. Where's that fine line then about doing that or just sidelining the problem and not addressing it? 
So, you know, if you have a toxic person in your life and you find yourself wanting to complain about them all the time, it's probably a good sign that you need to do something different, right? You need to set some boundaries, whether that's a physical boundary where you're going to say, I'm not going to allow this person to, to call me and monopolize my time. I'm not going to allow this person to, to say certain things to me anymore. I'm going to speak up or I'm going to protect myself somehow. So it's really about knowing, okay, who's this person I want to complain about? And what does that mean I need to do differently in my mm. life? And how can I set some boundaries around me so that I don't feel so angry and resentful about what I think this person's taking from me? I think in most cases, having a conversation with somebody, you, you want to know why am I complaining to people? And can this person I'm complaining to, do they have any power to fix the situation or not? Mm. More mm. often than not, we complain to people who have no power to fix it. Instead of complaining to the boss, we complain to a coworker or we complain to a friend or a partner. And maybe they don't have any wherewithal to fix it. So who can mm. fix it and how could I go to that person? So sometimes it's about confronting somebody and saying, this is what's going on. I think. I'm going to make some changes in my life. Here's what I'm going to do differently. How do you approach those confrontations? Because I think that that's where so much anxiety gets built up. Where like, okay, I've heard what you're saying. I shouldn't, I just stop complaining to the people that don't have the power or help to actually change it. Um, which I think that maybe there's a safe place. That's a safe place, which is why people do it. Right. So how do you confront somebody in a situation like that without feeling like you're being defensive? Because at least for my own sake, when I confront, or if I'm going to confront someone, I normally work myself up like I'm about to step in a boxing ring. Right. And that never solves anything. Right, right. <laughs> so sometimes it's about just saying, here's what I'm going to do differently. And maybe it's something small. Maybe you have a coworker who talks, comes in your office, sits down and talks for three hours every day. And as a result, you can't get your own work done. Right. So you might say, gosh, I'm having trouble getting my work done. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start shutting my door. I just wanted to let you know that in the mornings, now my door is going to be shut because I, I can't have too many distractions. Just say what you're going to do differently and to try not to turn it into something big. It's If you say to somebody, we need to have this big meeting and we're going to sit down and, and you make it a much bigger deal than it needs to be, then it is going to turn into a, a big confrontation that probably isn't going to be helpful. And so before you go in, you want to make sure that you figure out how do you calm your mind and your body. Maybe some deep breaths, maybe you watch a funny video for a few minutes. Uh, sit by yourself quietly, maybe listen to music, something so that your mind isn't racing and, and that your heart's not beating 100 miles an hour because if you walk into the situation like that, your adrenaline gets running, you're much more likely to, to raise your voice or say something that you don't mm. mean. And then to, to have a game plan. What are you going to say? How are you going to say it? Rehearse it in your head. And then walk through, walk through it, visualize it, imagine it going successfully. What would you say? What might they say? How how can you respond to them? And then maybe have one of those if-then plans. If the mm. person gets upset, what will I do? If they start to raise their voice, then I'll speak mm. calmly or I'll walk out, whatever it is. But knowing that confrontation doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think for so many of us, mm. it's built up in our head that confrontation is bad and that it's about disagreeing and yelling and, and not going well. But that confronting someone is sometimes the most loving thing that you could do. And that it's a really kind thing and knowing that it's being kind to you, but it could be really kind to them and it doesn't have to be bad. It's about saying, uh, I respect myself, but I respect you enough that I think we need to talk about these, talk about these things, uh, that we have enough of a relationship that I want to address it and not just pretend it's not a problem.
If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. Do you think then labeling things toxic is now becoming a thing just like narcissism where we're labeling things in order to be able to dis- dismiss someone? Well, okay. So this, so that is, there's something that hits on the crux of it in what you just said. Some people are genuinely exhibit toxic behavior. I think sometimes it's dangerous to say someone's a toxic person. Right. They exhibit toxic behavior and sometimes Like some of us exhibited toxic behavior in 2014 and not in 2015 because we were in a healthier place ourselves. You know, we've Mm. most of us have probably had toxic moments in our life. That's not excusing someone who's going through that. I'm not saying you should put up with someone who's going through a phase where their energy is toxic. But, you know, I think there needs to be some separation between labeling someone a toxic Mm. person and saying the way they're behaving is toxic or the effect of their behavior is is toxic. You could be with someone where every time you're vulnerable, every time you expose yourself, a weakness, a wound, something that's wrong, and you do it in the right way. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I'm a big believer in the idea that we often scare people off. You know, we have our favorite weapon. Some, when we're scared, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, we have our favorite weapon. Mm-hmm. Our favorite weapon could be passive aggression. Our favorite weapon could be the silent treatment. Our favorite weapon could be storming off. It could be attacking you. We all have our favorite weapon. And I think we often scare people off in relationships, not because of our wounds. We scare them off with our weapons. The problem is someone doesn't even see our wound because our weapon is so busy trying to like we're, Hide we're, the wound, right? Exactly. And really what's happening is this wound is screaming for attention, right? I, I, please heal me, give me attention, make me feel better. But we, we like to get that attention in ways that feel safe to us. So the reason we get passive aggressive is because if I, can, if I can get sarcastic or if I can give you a little jab, if I, then I get attention but I get it in a way that feels safe because my wall is Mm -hmm. still up. The problem is it doesn't help me with my wound because it doesn't help you get closer to me, which might help heal me. It doesn't help you know me better. And you'll spend so much much time trying to defend from my weapon 
that you can't ever actually step in and help heal my wound. And so what I would say to flip that is when you, are, when you get good at being vulnerable with your wounds and do it in a classy way, and doing it in a classy way is bringing it to someone in the right way. Mm. And it's also bringing it with the right frequency. Mm. Being vulnerable isn't me telling you the same insecurity 10 times a day. That's not <laughs> vulnerability, that's dumping. I'm making you responsible for, for my emotional state every time I feel it. That's not the same thing as vulnerability. Vulnerability is I'm insecure about this. I'm just making you aware. Ownership is the next 10 times I feel it today, I know you're already aware, so I don't need to tell you every time I feel it. That I, I have to do the work myself. That's where, that's where ownership comes in. So both ownership and vulnerability have to dance together. But when you feel wounded and you bring it up the right way, I would say toxicity is when being vulnerable, only when, when being vulnerable with a person hurts you more. Instead of soothes you. Yeah, when, when it actually inflames and aggravates and makes things much worse. When you're made to feel embarrassed, judged, humiliated, less than, unworthy for the vulnerabilities that you try to bring to the table. Then there's something that's broken about the way you relate to each other in the relationship. And that then can become extremely damaging. What happens then if somebody comes to you and you start feeling these emotions, right? And you're like, Nedja told me, okay, this is where I need to set a boundary because I'm really feeling it. And you go to set a boundary and the person opposite either says you're being too sensitive or, you know, um, they almost put it on you. Like this is a you problem. How do you, how would you deal with that? Because I think that that's where it shuts a lot of people down, where they start to feel badly about themselves. It starts to become, you know, detrimental to their self-esteem. They don't want to have that conflict with that person. Um, and so you end up staying quiet. How do you progress? We have to learn how to recognize when we're being manipulated, when we're being taken advantage of. Lots of times people will use those tactics as a way to shut you up, right? Because they want to do something that you don't want them to do. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying this stuff as a way to say to you, be quiet, here's my bound. They're giving you their boundary. Don't talk to me about this stuff. And so once you start to recognize the tactics that people will use to silence you, you can stand up for yourself better. I was just talking to a friend about a situation I had where someone was doing something really mean and they would gaslight me and they would say, well, I did it because you did this thing. And, you know, at the time I was really young and, and I never thought it was my fault. I would think, huh, there's really something wrong with this person. <laughs> like, this thing is clearly not my fault. Um, at that time, I was in a, in a position to get out of it, right? But as I've gotten older, I am very clear on when I'm being manipulated, when I'm being taken advantage of. I'm clear of the wording, you know, that people will use, like, you're being too sensitive. You're taking this too far. You're in your feelings. It's not that big of a deal. When I hear those things, I think it is that big of a deal. I'm talking about it. Anything I talk about is a big deal. Um, so I feel something and you're being dismissive. So the more you increase your language around what's happening 
in the situation, the better you will be at recognizing when someone is trying to set boundaries over your boundaries. They're really trying to say, hey, I don't want you to talk to me about this thing. And this is how I'm going to get you to stop. Mm. What do you mean increase your language? Can you give me an example? Developing your vocabulary. So knowing what it sounds like when someone is taking advantage of you by using certain phrases. Um, I would do it for you if you ask me or um, it seems like you have enough time to do it. Why don't you you can't do it on Saturday? You know, when they're trying to do these things that you're like, wow, like I feel really bad again for not doing it. And although we don't like to take certain things as a complete statement, like, no, um, that doesn't work for me. This is not a good time. We'd really like to challenge that with people. It's not okay. Mm. It's not okay for us to do it to people. And it's not okay for that to be done to us. And I think that difference that you said about my being aware of that I had a role in this relationship not working out in in the book um, and and then also feeling like, you know, all of your friends are saying, oh, he's such a jerk. I can't believe he did that. And that's the difference between idiot compassion and mm. wise compassion. And so idiot compassion is what we do with our friends. They say, listen to what my boss, my partner, my mother, my sibling, my friend did. And we say, yeah, you know, you're right. They're wrong. I can't believe they did that. That's terrible. We just blindly support our friend. That's idiot compassion. Because if you listen to your friend over time, they probably have similar types of things that they've been telling you, maybe different cast of characters, maybe the same person. Um, but but you start to notice a pattern, right, that, that they might have a role in this too, even if it's how they respond to something. And so it's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. We don't say that to our friends. Mm -hmm. When you go to therapy, you get wise compassion, which is we hold up a mirror to you and we help you to see something about yourself that maybe you haven't been willing or able to see. And that's where you can start to examine the story a little bit more closely. We don't do that with idiot compassion. That's amazing. So do you advise them people sit back and say, look, like almost identify and put, okay, this person is an idiot compassion person. This person, you know, <laughs> like, um, and I actually mean that because knowing wh who you should turn to and when at what time is going to be super important during these moments where you you're feeling vulnerable. Right. Well, I should say one more thing about idiot compassion, which is that, first of all, there are very problematic people in people's lives. So I'm not denying that, you know, it's like, um, we always say before diagnosing someone with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes, right? <laughs> so because because of course you're going to be depressed if you're surrounded by assholes, okay? So, so we get that. It's not that there aren't difficult people and problematic people in your life. It's that how do you respond to those people? First of all, why are you in relationship with that person? Do you need to be in relationship with that person instead of just complaining about that person every week? So that's a question. What are you doing there? And then the other question is, if you don't need to be in relationship with that person, um, you know, why aren't you leaving? And if you if it is someone that you want to be in relationship with for any number of reasons, um, what are you going to do to respond differently? What are you doing that maybe triggers this other person? And then they start acting like an asshole toward you. So I'm not blaming the person. Mm. I'm saying 
notice how this is a dynamic. It's a dance that you do with someone else. Notice what your dance steps are. And maybe if you change your dance steps, the other person will be forced to change their dance steps as well, or they'll just fall flat on the dance floor. I've actually heard you say, speaking of the guilt thing, um, that do never empathize with a narcissist. I'm going to put, I'm going to push back on that. Ah. Okay. Cause I believe in empathy. I think empathy is something that we are losing in this world quickly. And yet it is so crucial to me to, to actually saving this world, literally down to climate change. Empathy is everything, right? The biggest thing, in fact, we're right now, it's actually one of the videos in pre-production we're working on right now is this idea of people feeling like they have been through so much in multiple narcissistic relationships that they're they're starting to lose their empathy across the board. In fact, there's a name for it. It's called uh, compassion fatigue, mm. that we save that more for healthcare providers, psychologists, that kind of thing. After a while, there's so much empathy you can put out unless there's some coming back in, right? But compassion fatigue is a little different than just feeling like I'm empathied out. Like I am being treated badly every day, 20 times a day. I don't believe truly empathic people lose their empathy. I think people get worn out and they get sad and they, um, they feel more isolated from people. But I actually do believe we can have tremendous, in fact, we must have tremendous empathy for narcissistic people. Oh. Otherwise we lose, our, we lose the best part of ourselves and I'll be damned if somebody who's toxic is gonna be the reason the most beautiful part of myself gets turned off. And so, and I feel that for everyone, do not ever pawn that off. But empathy doesn't mean being a sucker. Mm. Empathy is understanding whatever happened in your story that brought you here, I am so sorry. And I really hope the path forward takes you to a place where you can work on this. I really do, but not on my time. But what if they're actually deceiving you? Like blatantly, I am doing everything yeah. I can to deceive you, to pull the wool over your eyes, and you've gone through that five-step process. Okay, so most interactions are gonna go like this. Most interactions are gonna be, great, you're never even gonna get to step number three. Most interactions, mm -hmm. you're just in baselining and nervous baselining, that's where you stay. You never see a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yay, <laughs> right? With all of my best friends, all the people who I trust in my life, with my team, I'm not seeing step number three mm -hmm. because I've gotten rid of those people. So if you've made it to step number three, <gasps> with people over and over again. You're constantly in set number three. You're constantly seeing red flags. You've confirmed, you've seen clusters, what's going on, you've done research. Those people should not be in your life. I don't have people in my life who put me in set number three very often. And that way I know that I can totally be easy when I'm in interactions. That's so clear. It's so clear. If you are seeing these red flags mm. over and over again with people and you can slowly exit, exit them from your life, those are the toxic people who are taking away. Red flags are really nerve wracking, right? They're incongruent, something's not right, something's inauthentic. And if you can't get those people out of your life, it's someone you work with, it's a family member, you need to create boundaries. Mm. You need to create boundaries so that you know that you're getting things in writing, right? So like if, if you have a, and I've had this before where I have partners that I'm working with who I've seen red flags and we're in a contract for a certain amount of time and I have to work with them, I get everything in writing. So I'll have a phone call with them. And by the way, um, let's, I'll do a quick quiz for you before yeah. I tell the rest of this. So what mode of communication has the most amount of lies? Is it face-to-face, 
Phone. I don't think it's face to face. Email. I think that's Chat. harder. I think phone because people could still hear your voice either email or chat because you're hiding behind probably chat because email you have a lot more space but chat is like i can just say a quick lie and no one's going to be able to decipher okay so that was my guess too i thought it was chat it's actually the phone what i know so think about this from a um once i read the the research i was like ah i understand so face to face it's super hard to lie to someone's face right it's super hard to look someone in the eye and bold face lie email and chat, there's a paper trail. It is really hard to put a lie in writing to know that someone could go, scan, 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 you said 9 p.m. So it's against our nature to put any kind of lie in writing because we think to ourselves, this, I could get caught. So what I will do if I know that I'm with someone who has put me in level three is I will say to them at the beginning of the call, my assistant is taking notes or I am taking notes, we'll put a summary in an email after the call. One, that brings writing up to the surface so it makes them want to be more honest because they know that someone's taking notes. So that's the first thing is if you know you have someone who fibs or fudges, Mm. tell them it's all going to go into writing. And then after every single phone call, we send a follow-up email. It was great talking about this. You promised XYZ deadline. It was so great to hear this. Fact, 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 fact. Please uh, confirm receipt that we got it all right. So I will make sure that if I'm with those people and I have to do those people, I get it in writing. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's how you kind of manage. But I think that if you get to number three, it's a great, start number three with people, it's a great little check to say, do you want this person in your life? Do you want someone who's being incongruent with you? Mm. I think the answer has to be no.